To Be a Yogi, Episode 3, in which we interview Julie Kirkpatrick of the Jiva Mukti lineage. Normally at this point, I would introduce my co-host, but today I'm flying solo. Kathy Kuhn Pentecost will be back, especially once I interview Reverend Ryugen Watanabe, or Osho, who is my new teacher. He teaches Zazen, uh, traditional yoga practice, and vegan cooking here in Highland Park, Los Angeles. You can find him at zenyoga.org. Now, you may or may not already know that the To Be a Yogi podcast is one of seven podcasts which I produce. One of the other podcasts, called The Esoteric Nerd, focuses on the academic study and uh, the ritual practice of various traditions apart from yoga, but including yoga. This podcast focuses more exclusively on the yoga meditation practice. One of my listeners from the other podcast suggested that I interview someone from the Jiva Mukti lineage, as he is currently undergoing training in that school. Before I get to the interview, I wanted to address something. One thing, one of the things that I mentioned is that I have recently become vegan. What I didn't realize upon bringing it up is that um, if you actually go to her profile, you will find uh, her profile picture is a picture of a cow, and it says, not your mother, not your milk. She feels very strongly about uh, the, the path of veganism, and especially as it relates to yoga. I personally have come to interpret for myself the first yama, which is ahimsa, or non-violence, as ultimately to do no harm to my fellow animals. I have cut out animal products from my diet. The reason I'm bringing it up is, as if you've heard the previous episodes, then you've already heard me talk about how my mother who passed away at a tragically young age didn't take up a yoga practice because she felt that if she was going to do something she wanted to do it all the way and for her it was brahmacharya which is the fourth yama ahimsa is the first yama uh brahmacharya when taken to its fullest extreme is often interpreted as chastity or abstinence from any kind of sexual activity. I personally don't practice it that way. Um, in her mind, she thought that she would have to practice it that way if she really wanted to be a yogi. And so she didn't pursue the path at all. I guess what I'm getting at is that there are yoga instructors out there who, after you finish the yoga class, you can say, hey, you want to grab a beer with me over at the Kentucky Fried Chicken? And they'll say, sure, and let's slam down a few grease balls or whatever it is people do at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, there's varying levels. There's you, you can have a yoga practice without worrying about or thinking about ever being vegan, because I know that there's a lot of people who can't imagine being vegan ever in their life. And I don't want this episode to deter those of you who feel that way 
from taking up a yoga practice if you were on the fence about it. So I guess that's why I'm going on about it so much, is that I want yoga to be available to everyone in the world, regardless of where they're at with these finer details of it. For me, I couldn't imagine, couldn't have imagined cutting all the animal products out of my diet a few years ago. And I believe it was through the yoga practice and through the meditation practice that I finally came around to wanting to do that, making it enough of a priority to want to do that. I found an inner stillness within myself and inner honesty that to me led to that conclusion. And not to say that'll lead everyone who takes up the practice to that similar conclusion, but it may lead some to a similar conclusion. I know there's yoga instructors that I respect that are much better than me at, you know, the, the asanas and the pranayama practices who eat chicken and eat fish and eat all these things and, you know, just make sure that it's free-range chicken. And for them, that is ahimsa. It's a very personal decision. Now that that's all been said, let's get to the interview, shall we? Hi, Edward. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. So, um, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, the kind of yoga that, um, that we're talking about today. Jiva Mukti, right? Yes, that's right. Jiva Mukti Yoga. Um, so, I um, started uh, practicing Jiva Mukti probably around 1987 or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, became a teacher in 2003 um, nice. and so I've been around the method for for a while and mm -hmm. one of the founders David Life is my brother Oh, nice! so I've been able to really kind of um, get a lot of uh, longevity with studying with him and Sharon I'm familiar with uh, the word mukti my the school of yoga that I was trained in is actually mukti yoga but I so I know inner liberation that uh, that word. I mean, but I'm not all that familiar with jiva. Um, the word jiva means refers to an individual soul. Ah. So you're a jiva. I'm a jiva. <laughs> so the liberation of the soul. It, liberation of the soul. You could say it means to become liberated while in a body. So okay. in a. In other words, the idea being that using the yoga practices to become a liberated person um, while you still have the body, not waiting until, you know, you're on your deathbed to right. find freedom. Um, so who are some of the influences uh, behind the Jiva Mukti school? Primarily, they were influenced by three main teachers that they consider their gurus and are part of the lineage of Jiva Mukti yoga. So the first one... Um, Sri Brahmananda Saraswati. He was the founder of the Yoga Society of New York. Mm -hmm. He founded Ananda Ashram that's in Monroe, New York. And also they have an ashram out in San Francisco, and which I've never seen, but I've been to the Ananda Ashram up in uh, Monroe. And the second guru that influenced them was Swami Nirmalananda. And he lived in India. And 
began corresponding with Sharon. Um, they were like pen pals, you could say. Um, for some years, I don't remember exactly how many. Mm -hmm. um, and then they went to when they went to India, they met Swami Nirmalananda. He lived in a forest um, sanctuary, forest ashram. Mm. And he was considered the anarchist Swami. Nice. <laughs> and um, he observed Mauna for many, many years. I think seven years or something like that. He observed what? Mauna or silence. So oh, take okay. silence. I see. For a long time. He wrote a lot of letters to political leaders around the world, you know, um, writing to them to recommend that they try more peaceful methods to resolve world conflicts and um, things of that sort. Nice. And then the third influence was Sri K. Patabi Joyce, who was the founder of the Ashtanga Yoga Method. Okay. And I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm, and he lived in Mysore, and they went off into India to study with him in Mysore and became quite adept at the Ashtanga Method. Mm -hmm. So those are the three main uh, teachers of Sharon and David. Excellent. So um, Jiva Mukti, I understand, I, I have a friend who's going through the 200-hour training. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about where people would be able to take that training, what locations, and um, what, what, what would make them... When someone becomes a Jiva Mukti yoga teacher and they go through that training... What makes their classes Jiva Mukti? That's a good question. <laughs> there's different levels of classes. There's basics classes and there's open classes. Mm -hmm. And there's also something called beginner vinyasa. So for the open classes, Jiva Mukti yoga teachers are expected to follow 14 points and include those 14 points in every class. But within those 14 points... Um, there's some flexibility for in what order they're put and what sort of prominence they're put. And, and then also Jiva Mukti Yoga Method has five tenets. So we're also taught to weave those five tenets into every class that we teach. Um, the first of the five tenets is ahimsa or non-harming. Mm -hmm. And the second tenant is bhakti, so devotion. Mm. The third is um, meditation or dhyana. So in every open class, we include a, a meditation practice within the class. Nice. Um, and then there's nada yoga, which is the yoga of deep listening. Um, mm. And that's part of the reason why we play music in classes. Um, and then the fifth one is to study... Um, the text of yoga. So primarily we study the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, the mm -hmm. Bhagavad Gita, and the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. But, you know, you could really you could study the Upanishads or, you know, any of the more sort of the Relevant. older writings about yoga and yeah. learn about them and study them. Excellent. Oh, and the other part of the question was where uh, would a person be able to find such training? Right. So the training itself is a very good training. I mean, it's the only one I've done. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> I have that same situation. I can yeah. talk about Mukti, but I not, I can't really compare it to much. <laughs> right. So, um, so, and I'm a little biased, you know, 
I think it's a great training, and it does have a very good reputation, like it's spoken of quite well in the yoga community. And it's every training is a month-long uh, training, and it's actually a 300-hour training. Mm. Right now, currently, there are three locations that uh, one could take a teacher training. The first location at the Omega Health and Wellness Center in Rhinebeck, New York, which is mm-hmm. about, I think it's about two hours north of New York City. Okay. And then there's one that, that this is, will be the second year that it's happening in the Godarvan Eco Village in India. And mm. that's at a, a community of Hare Krishnas um, founded by Radhanath Swami. And so they go there and they do the month-long training there. And then the third location is at the Blue Spirit Retreat Center in Costa Rica. And nice. they're, they're spaced out throughout the year, so you can kind of, you have options. You can pick one according to the location that speaks to you the most. You can choose one by the time of year that suits your schedule the best or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, there's has been trainings in Germany. Um, this year there's not one in Germany, but that's also probably will happen again in the future. Excellent. Near Berlin, I presume? Um, actually, they, they well, in the past they've done it on an island. Um, it's near, closer to Munich. Okay. And they use an island, uh, a monastery, an old monastery that's on an island, and I've heard oh, it's beautiful. quite beautiful. But I, I haven't seen it myself. But <laughs> maybe one. That day. sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of work, but it's very. I think the month-long um, model is really nice because you have to leave behind all of your kind of day-to-day things that might distract you from really absorbing the information yeah, and you get really immersed in it. So you're really doing it from morning till night and um, it's a lot of hours. It's probably if you added up all the hours, more than 300 (laughs) and um, it's quite comprehensive. So it really covers, you know, Jiva Mukti yoga method in detail. It covers history of yoga, philosophy of yoga um, some Sanskrit anatomy, um, a lot of philosophy, and um, so it's quite it's it's a quite comprehensive program. That sounds great. Now I I had a, a just a thought. I um, now as you know this this podcast is called to be a yogi, mm-hmm. and I uh, myself am a yoga instructor, uh, but when people I. I when I first went to a Hatha yoga class, uh, you know, probably about six or seven years ago, they said, you know, you can flow through a vinyasa or go straight to downward dog, yogi's choice. And it took me by surprise because I only knew that con- in the context of Paramahansa Yogananda, autobiography of a yogi. I never thought of myself as a yogi. I remember my mom talking about how she could never be a yogi. And so I have kind of decided to take it upon myself to walk the path toward one day maybe being able to call myself a yogi kind of in in my own mind maybe uh-huh. other people think I already am but uh <laughs> on that path I've um finally become vegan 
as as a personal interpretation of ahimsa. And um, I'm, you know, working to do yoga daily and, and practice good karma and uh, meditate and, and all of these things. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts about the distinction between the, the idea of being a yoga instructor or yoga practitioner and a yogi, or if there's a distinction. Well, you've probably given it way more thought than I have. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like. But I know my... Um, my Sanskrit teacher, Manorma, mm -hmm. she says we're all really yogis in training. Mm. And I like that idea. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I agree with what you're saying. It's like, it's just kind of sometimes as Westerners, especially, I think we lapse into sort of shorthand, verbal shorthand. Yeah. So we'll say, well, I'm a yogi. But, but really, if I guess if you understood the full concept of a yogi, you'd be, you'd say, like you are. I'm really a yogi in training, you know, like yeah. I'm aspiring toward that. So, um, I hope yeah. to be a yogi one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I see these, you know, um, I forget her last name, but Tao, uh, she's 96 years old or something like that. And oh, yeah. smiling and teaching yoga and, <laughs> and, you know, and I know people in my family that just sort of ate burgers and watched TV until they, sank into the couch and, and it was sad to watch yeah and I had to take care of a couple of them in the end and so I don't want to be that I don't want to have to have a grandchild that has to take care of me in that way like I that's one of my motivations is yeah is you know a lot of people in my family died young because they were unhealthy yeah and uh so I'm wanting to turn that around and and help to promote a healthier world but th that's secondarily so I always I always think of it as to be a yogi first and then secondarily to teach yoga because yeah. you can't really teach unless you're a student. Right, exactly. I I agree with you and I think that um, probably the best thing any of us can really do is just to really refine our ability to be a good student and I know I have to work on it <laughs> myself <laughs> and you know, I'm a bit yeah, stubborn and a bit of a doubting Thomas sometimes and I have yeah. to really um i can get my buttons pushed a little too easily yeah so to be so, called a yogi <laughs> yeah, right um yeah and i think that you know being being vegan of course you know is a big part of of the jiva mukti yoga method and um you know contrary to some rumors that circulate out there in the yoga community there isn't a uh jiva mukti ahimsa you know, security staff running around to check your cupboard or something <laughs> like that. But, you know, it's really up to each individual person. Right. But, but like how you have discovered or, you know, taken on veganism as a choice because it seems to align itself the best with the yoga, the principle, especially of ahimsa yeah. and non-harming. Um, but also it's like, how are you going to be able to, to experience the oneness of being if you're eating other if you're eating other people yeah. you know it's just i don't to me it just doesn't even like compute yeah so, there's i guess the i don't know the exact uh where where the quote is but i heard it put that the buddha said that uh you can't really reach certain height levels of compassion and eat meat that's what right. it comes down to you can yeah. you can be compassionate and eat meat, but you can't really express embody compassion. Right. <clears throat> um, 
And which is interesting because the current Dalai Lama is not a vegetarian. Yeah, you know, he goes back and forth from what I've read. Sometimes he doesn't eat meat, and then he just. I know his some doctors he was seeing were recommending that he eat right. meat. Well, he grew so, up on yak meat, like a good, you know, Tibetan. Yeah. Family, uh, you know, yeah. that's an interesting topic. But I mean, again, not judging. That's like another. I don't know if there's. It's one of the yamas or niyamas. That's more of a Christian thing. We're not condemning others. You know, kind of like you said, not not spying on others and checking their plate, but right. being more focused on our own plate. Right. Well, Sri Brahmananda Saraswati had a saying that we like to refer to quite often, which was, mind your own business. <laughs> and, you know, the idea being that, you know, each one of us have this mind that or this brain or like however you I mean, we have to define exactly what we're talking about when we say mind, but right. but probably generally we think of the same thing, like the mind generating thoughts and sort of connected to the ego. Yeah. And so mind your own business. Like we have these minds and they get us into tr so much trouble all the time. And if we could just clean up our own mind, clean up our own act, get our, our own mind under some semblance of um, balance and control, that would probably be really good for one lifetime, you know? Yeah. So when we try to uh, start judging others or get into other people's right. business, it's yeah. like going the wrong way. It's, it's the really, wrong path, yeah. It's like off topic. Yeah, it's distracting. Right. It's always easier to, you know, see someone else's flaws than to see one's own. Right, right. So, you know, when people say, well, you know, especially when it comes to veganism, there's so many arguments people come up with, like, against it, you know, like, right. well, what about the Eskimos that live in Alaska and they don't have, they can't grow fruits or vegetables? Well, you know, that's not my business. Yeah. I'm not an Eskimo living in Alaska or in the Arctic or whatever. I'm I'm me living in New York City in 2015, yeah. and I can do what I can do based on... Exactly. I know that, no. you know, because of my becoming vegan, that's one less person eating cheeseburgers. Right. So that's great. And I read something recently that now they estimate, in this country anyway, um, I, I believe it was in this country, that 400 million less animals were slaughtered um i don't know in a year or i don't remember the exact statistic but less animals are being slaughtered for food now because the movement is growing oh that's great um unfortunately it seems to be the opposite in some other countries but you know again yeah. we work on what we can do right here yeah. now in our lives and i mean we evolved as a country in our time and went through the Industrial Revolution in our time. And some countries are just now getting to it. But they also have these smartphones. So they're going through it differently. Right. And uh, maybe they'll go through it quicker or more quickly. Right. Um, and maybe arrive at, you know, those same similar conclusions. Yeah. I know that people feel like uh, I live here in Highland Park in California. It's sort of a, a trendy place that a lot of people from Portland have been moving to. And um, someone had written, veganism is magic. And uh, so someone <laughs> crossed it out and wrote, um, preachy. Oh. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, um, some people feel personally attacked when I tell them I'm vegan. And they, yes. they, they suddenly become defensive of their own car carnivorism. Yeah. 
I think that's a common response. And, you know, it's just, I think when someone gets defensive, really what they're showing is that they're, they're really touched, even though they don't recognize it in that way. And they're really having a little, they feel a little pang of guilt. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, the person who is not defensive is like, you know, the person that will continue eating animals the rest of their lives or something because they have no, you know, feelings about um, compassion toward the other animals and what they're going through. Right. But, you know, my teacher, Sharon Gannon, she wrote a beautiful little book called Yoga and Vegetarianism. Mm-hmm. And it's small, and it's really for for what it is, especially for yoga practitioners, it can be really helpful because she talks about the five yamas um, as they relate to your diet. So it would really... For us yoga yogis in training, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that book is a really good guideline for helping us to sort out any confusing thoughts we might have. It's in the context of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, so it's not um, just sort of uh, you know like pulling something <laughs> in air. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's couched in the tradition. It's really and and but it's. It's um, applicable to current time, being that factory farms are such a horrific thing. And yeah. none of us, really, if we know about it, would want to participate in that kind of violence. Um, yeah. But it's a really good resource. I re- highly recommend that to people to read that. And, and it's not real thick and it's not real um, obtuse, I guess. You know, it's just very easy to understand and helpful. When I first tried uh, to be, I, when, I, I tried to be vegetarian, and uh, it didn't work out. And uh, I, I, but in the end, I was being really stupid. You know, I was just eating bread and cheese and stuff. And so, I, it, I took a year to study and learn how they do it. You know, and and what to do, and uh, basically eat a lot of Indian food and put a lot of spices in it. Um, <laughs> I have this great smoothie recipe I've come up with that has cayenne pepper in it. You know, uh, yeah. Things like that, and then you know, taking the uh, the algae-based omega threes, which is where the salmon get their omega threes. Because one of my big things before was I need to eat fish so my brain can function. Uh-huh. But I did a little more research, and it turns out no, you can get it straight from the algae. Right. Um, so that helps. Yeah. And, uh, well, I think definitely stepping into it with some either someone, you know, like you would probably be a good person if you had a friend that wanted to go vegan. You could give them a lot of helpful advice and so so, like having a role model is good you know Sharon and David were my role models for becoming vegan and that was very helpful and um, but and Sharon recently published a cookbook which is quite a labor of love simple recipes for joy and it's quite beautiful book but but there's so many resources these days for um, cookbooks and on the internet and things to to help know how to do it in a wise way. Yeah, you can be a junk food vegan as much as you can be a junk food anything. So the idea being that how you cook and how you eat creates more joy. So we can be joyful vegans, as Julia Butterfly Hill likes to say about herself. She's a joyful vegan. And it's not, it shouldn't be like a burden, but it's something you celebrate and you cook and, you know, cruelty-free 
um, food and you eat this beautiful food that you made and created and it's healthy and nutritious and it's without violence and it's just um, bring can bring more joy. Yeah. So you don't seep into the sofa over yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> with the TV dinner. And... Yes. Yeah, and then of course the asanas. I mean, there's just so yoga is just so beneficial. I, I, I can see why, you know, because there's some people that are allergic to things that aren't Christian or whatever it is that the button is. Um, so I can see why people try to dumb it down and take the Sanskrit out and a lot of things like that for these, you know, certain ty- types of certain schools of yoga that are formed. Um, but I, I personally, I don't have those issues. And my dad raised me just chanting Om every morning. So oh, wow. for me, it's home. Uh, Ulm is home. <laughs> and uh, so it's great. I, I um, yeah, between the, you know, the, the asanas and the breathing and the vegan lifestyle, you just end up feeling great. You end up feeling good about yourself and you end up feeling good walking down the street. I was, you know, because I, I lived for so long as a meat eater who sat all day mm-hmm. that I very, very clearly know the difference between how I feel now, you know, walking with my wife down the street and it's uphill and I don't care mm-hmm. versus how before I was like, oh, let's drive, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I'm definitely happy to, to be on the path to become a yogi. Well, there's something for everyone in the yoga. Yeah. In, I mean, it's a big ocean yoga. And yeah. There's asanas, like you mentioned, pranayama, meditation, chanting, and um, it becomes like your lifestyle and how you really, how you interact with others, how you form your relationships, Um, you become self-reflective and mindful, so you try to do things. You, You really, well, one of the, one of the, I've gotten so many beneficial teachings from juvenile yoga, especially from Sharon and David, but but one that's really stuck with me and resonated with me is that you um, you have the choice to, um, within yourself, and you take responsibility for yourself. And in your relationships, you work to refine your relationships. And so I just feel like, you know, over time, I've just so much of what I mean, my life wouldn't be without yoga. Where I don't know what I'd be doing, <laughs> yeah, and and how I'd be feeling. But I know that that um, being so immersed in yoga um, is really, as you have spoken of it so well, is uh, is uh, has been a lifesaver for me. Yeah, it opens a lot of doors. I think that it's it's good as as a foundation for anyone who's doing anything. If someone mm-hmm. is doing sports, they should do yoga. If they're going to be creative and write books, they should do yoga, especially if they're going to be sitting at a computer. And in fact, they should be standing at a computer. Right. You know, I always encourage people to talk to their HR department about the standing unit. Right. With the arm so they can stand for at least 10 minutes an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah sitting is the new smoking, they say. <laughs> Although I have to say I sit a lot in my apartment, but I sit on the floor, so I, uh, I there's certain like sitting it. positions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go vegan. Be peaceful. Work on loving everybody, even if they 
push your buttons and make you upset and angry and keep meditating and keep practicing yoga. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, and I had a question. I've already done my 200-hour training, but does Jiva Mukti offer a 500-hour training? Yes, we have. So the, the month-long uh, training is 300 hours, and then after that, you have the option to do what we call the apprenticeship program. And it's a really amazing program to take you deeper into uh, your ability as a teacher, where mm -hmm. you work one-on-one -on -one with an advanced certified Jiva Mukti Yoga teacher. And um, you go through a curriculum, and you teach different elements of classes. You meet with your mentor you study Sanskrit, you practice your meditation, you give um, many what we call ICPs, which stands for in-class privates, which means that you're working on your ability to give assists to mm -hmm. students in classes. And um, it's quite a beautiful program, and it really takes you even deeper than the 300-hour training. So Excellent. It's a really great program. So I guess um, what I was wondering is, if I've already done my 200-hour, would I have to do the month and then the advanced program in order to get it? Uh, to I, so you mean as someone who's done a training outside? As yeah. Someone? Yeah, then you would have to take first the 300-hour. Then, okay. then you have the option to, um, to do the apprenticeship program. And then... Um, we also have advanced certified teachers, which they, after they've taught for some years, they can um, take a test to see if they've absorbed enough of the method and about yoga to pass the test, then they become advanced certified teachers. But many people take a 200-hour course somewhere, and then they go to the Jivamukti training, and they find that that 200-hour training that they've done somewhere else just allows them to enter into the Jiva Mukti training and absorb a lot more. So right. if you don't know some of the terminology and then you're in, a, in the 300 training at Jiva Mukti, you know, you have to struggle a little bit to absorb some of the, just to get the terminology into your mind. But if you've done a good training somewhere else and then you want to enhance that training, the Jiva Mukti yoga training is a good way to do that because it will just, it will take you deeper. And you can absorb more because you've already done sort of, you know, you have laid the groundwork. You've done the foundation for it. But, you know, people come from all over the world also for the training. And you get, you, you work with, it's very well organized so that you work with groups of people. You are broken up into groups. So you can become good friends with other people and people get quite close during the training and help each other and form bonds that extend beyond the training. Um, and also the each small group has its own mentor at the teacher training. So you have the main teachers of the program and then you have also your small group mentor, which is like the person that you would go to if you had if you needed extra help or they kind of are like your go-to person to with your, within your small group to kind of help keep everything together and keep things going and give you a pep talk if you need it and stuff like that. 
Well, that sounds great. Um, how much is uh, the monthly seminar, uh, the, uh, the the whole month, and does it vary from New York to India to Costa Rica? Yeah, it really varies, and it and it also depends where you're coming from, mm-hmm. and um, because you have to arrange for your own travel. Right. So, um, the pricing for the training is available. Like you can see it online, I guess. Um, mm-hmm under the teacher training programs. Some people will say that the, it's quite expensive and it is, I like a friend of mine who plans yoga retreats, she uses the term investment. So I really like that term investment. And so you're really investing into the quality of the training. And one time we, I sat with someone who was contemplating doing the training, but she wasn't really sure about it. And, and that was one of her concerns that it was just expensive, too expensive for her. But we sat down, we kind of looked over the hours and the kind of like, you get three meals a day, you get your housing and depending also where you go, there's different housing options. There's cheaper options versus more expensive options. But, Mm -hmm. When you kind of break it out into an hourly format, which is really not even fair to do, but we just did it as an exercise, and it's like something like three dollars an hour or something like that. Like so, right? But for a month, like, <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, it's so it's so worth it. And you know, people yeah. are, get very creative. Like if they really want to do it. They get very creative in fundraising for themselves or saving up money. I was just thinking about that. If somebody did a Kickstarter and said, "Hey, I want to change my life. Can you guys help me out?" and they and they phrased it well, they could. I bet they could crowd support. Something yeah, like that. and it's nice if you're going to do something like that that you offer something in return. So it's right. not like you're just asking people to give you money to go to a training, but you're saying like, like I know one person who's a photographer. He did trades with people, um, taking uh, photographs for them for different things, and then the money that they gave him for that what went toward his training. So, nice. um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's more so you're more on equal footing too. Like if you ask, if you say like, I will wash your windows i don't know that's a silly example you know you there's when you graduate from the training you could give people in class privates and um so that might be something you want to do or yeah you know do karma yoga for uh some sort of uh center you know you say look if you if you support me in my endeavor when i finish i will do vol- i'll volunteer to teach for the first five months I come back from training or something like that in your honor, like, you know, in your name, I will do that. I will teach others what I've learned, um, and dedicate it to to you or something like that. So many different things you could do. (laughs) And really uh, many people have this story that like, they just thought about it for many years, but they weren't really sure. And mm-hmm. then finally, when they decided, like, that's it. I'm going to do it no matter what. Yeah. It just manifests. Like, things fall into place that you wouldn't even imagine, that you can't even think of. Come it's through. like I, I could buy a new car or I could turn my body into an ideal vessel for living, breathing, meditating. 
You yeah. Know, I mean, when you when you really kind of weigh it out, it's like, yeah, it's kind of right. changing your life from here on out, maybe even adding a few decades on to the end. How many thousands of dollars is that worth? Right. So, and yeah, I think it's um, liberated while you're still in the body. <laughs> yeah. And doing that for to help others, really, to be of service for others. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> you're so welcome. And I would recommend also for people that are curious about Jiva Mukti Yoga, there is the Jiva Mukti Yoga book, mm -hmm. which is a quite a, it's a good book just for yoga in general. But if you're curious about the Jiva Mukti method and the lineage of Jiva Mukti, that's a great book to read. And you can learn a lot from reading that book. People who are curious about the teacher training, I'll often say, but, but maybe they don't know too much about Jiva Mukti Yoga, but they're just um, looking for a good training and want to further themselves as teachers. I'll say, well, why don't you read the Jiva Mukti Yoga book, and that will help you to decide if you want to do the training or not. That makes sense. And also just give you some insight into the method, and but also just in terms of yoga in general. It's a really great resource book. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Edward. And uh, we'll be in touch online, and I'll, I'll send you the link when it goes up. Great, and I look forward to um, hearing all your podcasts, so keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome, Edward. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Om. Om. <laughs> I'd like to close with a poem that was originally a song sung by the man we know as Padmasambhava, or Born from the Lotus. Padmasambhava was an 8th century Indian Buddhist master. Many of the stories which are passed down to us about him are so fantastical they're difficult to believe. But he is generally credited as being the one to bring Vajrayana Buddhism to Tibet. Just before he left Tibet, he sang this song to the king and those who were in attendance in the royal court. And Yishi Tsyokal who uh, was said to have a photographic memory, recorded it as follows. I am a yogi, beyond word, thought, and description, who journeys on the plane of the view free from extremes. When I journey on the plane of this view, I journey while regarding appearance and existence as Dharmakaya. I am a yogi of luminous appearance and emptiness, who journeys on the plane of the meditation of empty bliss. When I journey on the plane of this meditation, I journey beyond meditation and post meditation. I am a yogi of self-liberated perception who journeys on the plane of spontaneous conduct. When I journey on the plane of this conduct, I journey in equal taste without accepting or rejecting. I am a yogi of self-existing non-fabrication who journeys on the plane 
of spontaneously accomplished fruition. When I journey on the plane of this fruition, I journey free from hope and fear. I am a yogi beyond word, thought, and description, who journeys over the pass of the view free from extremes. When I journey over the pass of this view, I journey beyond meditation throughout day and night. I am a yogi of luminous appearance and emptiness who journeys over the pass of meditation of empty bliss. When I journey over the pass of this meditation, I journey free from dullness and agitation. I am a yogi of self-liberated perception who journeys over the pass of spontaneous conduct. When I journey over the pass of this conduct, I journey while sowing the seeds of omniscience. I am a yogi of self-existing non-fabrication who journeys over the pass of spontaneously accomplished fruition. When I journey over the pass of this fruition, I am the Buddha of perfected realization. I am a yogi beyond word, thought, and description, who journeys down the slope of the view free from extremes. When I journey down the slope of this view, I dwell in the state of non-arising dharmata. I am a yogi of luminous appearance and emptiness who journeys down the slope of the meditation of empty bliss. When I journey down the slope of this meditation, I dwell in the state of undistracted non-meditation. I am a yogi of self-liberated perception who journeys down the slope of spontaneous conduct. When I journey down the slope of this conduct, I act according to the words of the Sugatas. I am a yogi of self-existing non-fabrication, who journeys down the slope of spontaneously accomplished fruition. When I journey down the slope of this fruition, I am the Buddha whose stream of being is purified. I am a yogi beyond word, thought, and description, who journeys to the place of the view free from extremes. When I journey to the place of this view, samsara and nirvana are of the same nature. I am a yogi of luminous appearance and emptiness, who journeys to the place of the meditation of emptiness bliss. When I take the journey to the place of this meditation, the nature of thought is wisdom. I am a yogi of self-liberated perception 
who journeys to the place of spontaneous conduct. When I journey to the place of this conduct, appearance and existence have the nature of a mandala. I am a yogi of self-existing non-fabrication who journeys to the place of spontaneously accomplished fruition. When I journey to the place of this fruition, everything is the nature of Buddhahood. Once you realize the intent of this song, samsara is nothing to be rejected and nirvana is nothing to be accomplished. Special thanks to Dharma Sound. That was a track of them playing in the background during the recital. You can find them at dharmasoundyoga.com. Special thanks to Brian Dahl. That was the album Golden Dawn LVX. The one with the beat and the Om Namaha Shivaya Om. Special thanks to Susumu Ueda and the monks at Jofuku Inn Temple on top of Mount Koyasan in Japan. The meditation on the wind element, which you heard in the second half of the intro. Thank you all for tuning in. To the north and to the south to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below. We send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings 